Hey, I'm Kendall. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. So I started my day in an uh, amazing way. Um, I watched a, a little buddy of mine that I've been watching him grow up for the last like two years all of a sudden just start walking down the nursery hallway. Once again... You can't manifest these stories. But for me, like, I, I loved watching my kids take their next steps. Like, growing up, or as my kids are growing up, watching them learn how to walk, every single one of them, all four of my kids, very, very different. Broly seemed to just, like, pop up at, like, nine months, and he was gone from there. Zeke was like, I don't want to do this. And then finally, like, we made him walk, and then, like, totally proficient at walking. It's like, You've just been chilling. Kez was, again, a little bit in between. Little Cheetos worked well. But for me, whatever it was, like watching Jed walk was like, that was the moment I'm like, it's my little one. What in the world is happening now? I feel old and he's walking and all those things. But every time with the next step, the, the thing that I loved, tell me one parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, whatever you see a kid get up and start walking gets mad at the kid when they fall. You don't see that. Kid gets up on the first step, they take one little step, and again, even if they get one step and then smack down, they're out, face plant, you're celebrating that half a step. And for me, when we talk about next steps in the church, the one thing that we really got to understand is we're not shooting for perfection. We're celebrating the half step. Because what happens? Enough half steps start happening, and then you start being those, again, like I, I watch this and I'm consistently saying this, my kids don't know how to walk. They only know how to run. And some of you know this because you're probably being barreled over to them after the gathering, like I'm running in here. But like that becomes like, but it started. How did it start for every single one of us? Small half step. So today we're, we're going to be focused on taking steps. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to go to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at the example of Philip. And I, 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 I love looking at Philip. I, I love this story. This is probably one of my favorite stories. I actually asked Paula. I was like, have I preached this one before? And then she looked at me and she's like, I don't have a Rolodex of five years worth of sermons. So somebody needs to be my Rolodex of five years worth of sermons. So if you got that spiritual gift and you're looking to serve, I would love you to help me with that. But for me, like, today is going to be a very, very heavy push sermon. Most of the times I'll preach sermons and I hope to have that like transformation to your mind, which brings a transformation of the heart, like go to Jesus, preach the gospel. Like I'm not always the most applicational guy. I like seeing transformation in the heart because again, if, I, if there's transformation in the heart, there will be action in the long run. But today, a little bit of a different gear I'm going to switch because I want you to take a next step. I, I, more specifically, I've been praying for you, not even knowing who is going to be sitting where. This wasn't by name, and I'm not overly spiritual, or I got like a board put up, and I'm like, well, here's this person, here's this. I, I, I don't know what's going on in your life, and I, I am not the sovereign Lord. But I've been praying for you to be able to take your next step in your walk with God. So kind of let me set the stage, and let's jump into kind of Acts chapter 8. 
So what do we have here? We, we have all things, the church has become the church, Holy Spirit has come down, you got uh, Peter has preached and thousands have come to know Jesus and they've been baptized. The church is growing. Church is growing so much, eventually like the, 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 the 11, more over the 12, because they voted a uh, guy in, says, hey, we need some guys of good repute kind of start serving with us. And they pick some guys among the, the list, and they pick some people, and they pick a guy by the name of Stephen. Now, Stephen is a guy who goes, and he preaches, like, and if you look at it, you look at uh, Peter's gospel presentation, you look at Stephen's gospel presentation in Acts. They say, like, the exact same thing. Now, one of them, Peter, thousands come to know Jesus. Thousands get baptized on that day. And Stephen, when he preaches, Stephen gets stoned. Now, I know it's 2023. We don't say the same thing. We're not talking about medicinal herbs. We're talking about throwing rocks at people and bludgeoning them until they're dead. So, again, Bible knowledge, if by chance you were there, but I like literally was like reading the Bible. It's like, and they stoned Stephen. I'm like, that's going to need some information just to make sure. People are like, man, it was that. Like, it wasn't that good. It wasn't that. But what happens is Stephen preaches the gospel, and then they, the, the, the Pharisees get really mad. They pick up rocks. And then they proceed to throw them at Stephen until Stephen's dead. That's horrible. That's gruesome. That's rough. But we're here, and this is where we hit. And there's a very, very important detail here. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it says, And then they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man, Saul. This is all things Saul. Saul eventually becomes Paul. Paul writes a bunch of the New Testament if you know anything about Acts chapter 9, this is where uh, Paul, again, he's, he's walking down the road to Damascus. Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Saul gives his life to Jesus. But what does it start with? Saul wasn't always that guy. He was the guy who, like, orchestrated this, like, hey, pick up that stone and throw it at his head. He was that guy. Then Acts chapter 8, now we're in the text, starts with, in Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering the house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is not a fun time for the church. It's not an enjoyable time for the church. What has happened? Real persecution. Why was the church being persecuted? Because they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not preaching health and wealth. They were not preaching believe and get. They were not preaching some watered down like anything. It was you need to repent and believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. And because of that, you will have a real relationship with a real God. It's not about your works. It's about his works. And because of that truth, again, you don't see the watered-down church being persecuted. The real church that gets persecuted, the real church that gets heat, is the church that is literally watching people's lives get transformed by the gospel of Christ. But that's where we're at. Church is scattered. The martyrdom of Stephen was a catalyst for persecution, which caused, and this is an important detail, and they were all scattered. So what happens is the church starts in Jerusalem, persecution comes in, and everybody runs. Now this is one where you're like, cowards. This is just human livelihood. 
I'm going to die for this. I'm going to get killed for this. Even the toughest, biggest, baddest dude in the world, you can say, man, I will stand my ground, sure. But if you've got a wife and you've got kids, you're getting out of Dodge. You're not standing in your house being like, I love Jesus so much. Bring Saul on. you got a four-year-old kid sitting there. No, you know, i got to get out of here. I love my wife. I love my kids. I'm getting out of here. So again, we don't want to knock the church for leaving or scattering. But this is what happens. But this is one of the hard truths. This is the first thing that we got to start looking at when it comes to next steps. God will push you out of your comfort zone to help you make your next step. Because who is in sovereign control of the entire story? God. Who is in sovereign control of your life? God. There's goods and there's bads. And I want to make sure, again, sometimes God will push you out of your comfort zone with moments of joy. Sometimes God will push you out of your comfort zone to help you make that next step in difficult moments. Now let me explain this and let me make sure that you understand what I'm not saying right now. So one, Acts 1 starts with an important thing. This is a moment of joy. This is God's purpose. In Acts 1 verse 8, the Bible reads, but, and this is Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Guess what the church hadn't started doing yet? They were only in Jerusalem. They hadn't left yet. And I don't know if there was plans for them to leave. But Jesus said, hey, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says it in Acts, hey, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So for us, the disciples... They were in their comfort zone of Jerusalem. They're sitting in Jerusalem. Persecution, though, pushed the church out of their comfort zone, and they made their next steps. It's one of those things where we, we can look at this and we're like, whoa, that, but that's difficult. That's, that's hard. I, I don't like this. But if God says he wants something, God's going to make it happen. And God told the church, hey, you have to go to the ends of the earth. And again, to go to Samaria, there's like racial connotations here. That's like people saying like, hey, we're going to go to Flint. And whatever your connotation of was Flint, that's what the connotation of Samaria was. But where we have this, hey, we're going to go to the ends of the earth. And again, the church is like, yeah, we're good in Jerusalem. We're doing great, man. Peter just preached. Thousands of people just came in. Man, we're seeing people get baptized. This is going great. But what was God's intent the entire time? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in this moment, we have to have a clear understanding about our next step sometimes comes when God pushes us to help us make our next steps. And sometimes there are moments of joy. Sometimes there are positive moments. Sometimes there are moments of difficulty. But I want to be clear about something. And this is what I'm not saying. God does not use sin to force you to make your next step. I want to make sure we're there because, again, there is tragedy. There is hurt. There is difficult things that has happened to you. And I'm not taking away any of that. But, again, look at the catalyst of what it started with. We cannot water down Stephen's death here. Stephen was faithful to the gospel, got up and preached the gospel, and he got rocks thrown at his head until he died. We're not just going to be like, oh, that happened. Okay, moving forward, next page. Stephen had a family, I would assume. 
had a mother, he had a father. Did he have brothers, sisters, kids? I don't, I don't know. There's no text in there. But we're not going to water down the fact that somebody died in this story. In the same way that we do not water down tragedy, hurt, or pain in your life. I think that becomes one of those things. This is, this is a very difficult, hard truth that we got to kind of navigate. Like To say, like, hey, God will use difficult situations. God will use joyful situations for you to take your next step. We, we, we want that, but only when it's joyful, only when it's good. God will make me take my next step when he gives me a million dollars. Yay! God will make give me my next step when I get the lottery. Yay! Like, we can't look at it like that. Because sometimes, and I think some of you know this, sometimes a difficult step is the thing that kind of pushed you to where you're at. So God doesn't use sin. God doesn't touch it. He doesn't look at it. But he is sovereign. He is control. And his plan will not be thwarted. Romans 8.28, again, when we look at sin, hurt, tragedy, all these realities on this side of eternity are true for us. But Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We have to hold this comfort. Because how else do we look at difficult moments? We look at difficult moments, again, if we go back to Stephen, for Stephen, sinful men ended his life. That brought hurt. That brought pain. But we cannot lose sight of the fact of one, Stephen knew Jesus. Stephen knew the gospel. The gospel reigned in his heart. And again, the, the fire in his heart overflowed. And man, he's preaching against a crowd that hated him. He's the stiff-necked generation. He knows exactly who he's saying it to and why he's saying it. But when we look at this, are you saying like knowing Jesus takes away hurt, pain, and sin? Yes. Yes, 100% yes. Because even if there's been hurt, pain, and tragedy in your life, if, if for me to like look at you and be like, that doesn't, Jesus won't take away that. No, he does. For so often we, we look at hurt, we look at issues in life, hurt, pain, sin. We look at these things, but we forget Jesus is healer. Jesus is comforter. Jesus is savior. So again, are, are there still scars? Yeah. Did it still hurt in the time? Yeah. I, I don't want to undo reality. But for us to live in a life where we're like, yeah, there's Jesus. Hey, it doesn't really hurt, help my hurt. What? I got pain. It doesn't really take it away. He took away the sins of all humanity of all time. And we're going to undersell what Jesus is. So the first thing we've got to understand here, it, God used the death of Stephen to further the gospel. And like this verse in Romans says, again, does that mean that the death of Stephen was a good thing? No. But God uses all things for good. So even if it is not a good thing, it is still considered an all thing. And God will use that. I think so often people get stuck right here. Because, again, God would only use good things to help me take a step. Sometimes he doesn't. And that wrecks our relationship with the Lord. How can I trust you? How did you let that happen to me? Why did you let that hurt into my life? Why in the world would I ever take a step towards you because of fill in the blank of whatever happened to you? But the thing that actually brought me closer to the Lord was actually a death of a relative. 
I sat in a church and somebody started again. We, we believe that she knows Jesus. And then the guy opened a, the father or whatever it is, Catholic church type of thing, like opened up. He's like, this is a tragic day. And I'm like, but she knew Jesus. This isn't a tragic day. It's sad for us. But this is a joyous day. She's living in a place where no more sin, no more weeping. She's in front of her Lord and Savior. Like, she's, this is exactly where I want to be. But we can look at stuff and we can be like, again, that, that's a bad thing. That, that, sometimes God uses things in our lives to push us to take a next step. You know, people, when they come into church and they're broken and they're hurt and they got nowhere else to go, bad thing, but God uses all things for good to help you make your next step. Because who you are is because of what has befallen you in your life. We can't take that away. Who the church became after Stephen, not a good thing that Stephen died, but it was an all thing that Stephen died. So I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying, because again, God uses hurt, God uses sin. Again, death is sin, tragedy is sin, hurt is sin. Those things all come from the fall. But we have to be able to put our hearts in a place where we read Romans 8.28, and we know that God uses all things for his good, his purpose. And what stops people from taking their next step? That. I don't really care about his purpose. I don't really care about his will. I want me. So one of the things that we, we got to get to a place is like, do you want to take your next steps with Jesus? Are you taking your next steps closer to Jesus? And that's where we kind of wind up as we start going. So we now have a scattered church. God will push you out of your comfort zone to help you make your next steps. And then we have Acts chapter 8, verse 4. And it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip, this isn't Philip, the guy who was with Jesus. This is a deacon. You can go to Acts chapter 6 for that. Went down to the city of Samaria to proclaim Christ. I love this. What God intends, or the enemy intends for bad, God intends for good. God will work out all things good for his purpose. What just happened? The church got scattered. Then what happens? Philip goes down to Samaria, and he starts preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it good that Stephen died? No, but it was a part of one of those all things that God used to help the church take the next step. Now there's people who are proclaiming the gospel in Samaria. And I love this because, again, Philip took his next steps. He left Jerusalem, and he went to Samaria, and he started proclaiming the gospel. He didn't turn around and say, what do I do? He didn't turn around and say, who should I do it with? He didn't Instagram, turn around and be like, I don't know what to do. He didn't wait for like some uber, super confirmational aspect. What did he do? He started walking towards Jesus. He knew he was in the spot, and he started walking towards Jesus. The next step in your walk with God is not a behavior modification. It shows who you truly live for. For Philip, he was truly living for Jesus. It wasn't a modification. Hey, I'm in Samaria now. Time to start fresh. Time to show people I'm doing that. No, it just always was him. No matter where he went, whether it was Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, wherever he was at, he was going to be living purposely. He was going to be living with action. He was going to be living with a purposeful destination to make sure that preaching Jesus was the number one thing he did. Why? Because Jesus was his number one destination. So back to that question for you. What's your next destination for your next step? Is it benefit for you, your millions, your comfort, your joy? Or is it benefits to see more of Jesus? 
And I think this is another thing that trips us up. So again, we, sometimes we get forced to make steps that we don't want to make steps on. But then we got to look at this other thing. What is our destination? Is there focus there? And I love 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. It says, so I do not run aimlessly. Real talk, have you ever felt like you were walking for Jesus aimlessly? You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. What do I do? Do I take this job? Do I not? Do I do, do, I do this Bible study? Do I not? Do I take this, do, do I take this opportunity here? Do I, what do I do? Do I get a payday at lunch or do I get a Milky Way at lunch? Like Again, sometimes we get really, really super Calvinistic on our, our ways of living. But do you ever live, I run aimlessly? What does Paul say? I do not run aimlessly and I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, at least after preaching to others and myself, I should not be disqualified. Guess what he's preaching to himself? The gospel. He's reinforcing the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to himself. He's not disqualifying himself, but what is he saying? I do not run aimlessly. So for you, for your next step, is it just where, where do I go? For some of you, what is my next step? I pray it's something along the lines, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whatever you drink or eat and whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. Like, where are you going in life? I don't know. I don't have the ability to look at every single one of you because you can come up like, hey, Ryan, should I take this job? I don't know. Should I date this person? I don't know. Should I give it to the poor? I don't know. Should I serve in this ministry? I don't know. But the thing I do know is that all we should do is for the glory of the Lord. But so often our destination becomes like, is, is this going to backfire on me? Is this too much of a time commitment for me? Am I giving too much money for me? Because what if I want Starbucks on Thursday? We so focused on ourselves, we lose that aspect of what is the destination for Philip. His destination wasn't whether it was Samaria, whether or not it was Jerusalem, it didn't matter. His destination was making sure that Christ was glorified. And I love this. For us to look at what our next steps are so often, we get caught in this like Michael Scott aspect of if I think this way or if I think that avenue down that avenue and that avenue and that avenue, I'll figure it out. When in actuality, all we got to do is be faithful and willing to take that next step towards Jesus. Philip here doesn't turn around like, oh my gosh, I'm in Samaria. I need to set up a coffee shop. I need to make sure that people know where I can, again, they can come here and they can hear about Jesus. I need to get my roots down. I need to get some of this going on. I got to get some of that going on. No, what does he do? The church scatters. He shows up in Samaria his next step was irrelevant to those small details. His next step was always towards one thing, the gospel. And now are there big decisions that you have to make? Yes. Should I date that person? Should I not date that person? Should I get this job? Should I move? I'm not undermining those decisions. But do those decisions take you closer to Jesus? A lot of times it's like, should I go play here or should I go do that? Like, are you going to sin? Is it going to help you grow? Is, is it going to help you with your relationship with Jesus in one way, shape, or form? Because if it doesn't, then I wouldn't do that choice. If it does, because your destination is Jesus, then I would go do that. But then we keep moving forward. So Stephen shows up. Again, he's been pushed out of his comfort zone. God pushed him out of it. Then we look at this idea again. When he shows up, he always knows his next step is his destination. The next two truths are amazing. 
In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem and Gaza. This is a desert place. So Stephen, or Philip's in Samaria preaching the gospel. And he's being successful at this. People are coming to the Lord. And then God shows up, an angel of the Lord shows up, and he says, hey, I need you to go here. And what does it say? Philip rises and goes. So for us, the thing that we've got to understand is God desires obedience more than success. Have you ever started something, then you finish it just because you know for a fact you're not going to complete it? A.K.A., how's your diet going from January? How's your social media detox going? We know these things. We, we, we exhibit these things in our walk, but so often we get so caught up in, I won't be successful in that, so I'm going to throw the entire thing away. The baby steps. You don't look at a baby if they fall over once and say, you'll never get this, good luck, see you later. You pick them back up, you try again. And that is the same thing we get with God. You are not perfect. I'm not perfect. Trust me. I mess up. I screw up. But the reality is God desires obedience more than he desires success. Philip was in a place where he was being successful in Samaria. And what does God tell him to do? I need you to go somewhere else. And what is Philip's thing? For him, he, God says go. And he goes. So often, again, you see this idea of, again, rise up and go. You start trying to run it through, but I'm doing well here doing good here. God would never ask me to leave a place where I'm doing well, right? No. Because we go back to that first thing. God sometimes moves you out of your comfort zone. And then again, he's always your destination. So when he says rise and go, again, God doesn't desire success. God desires obedience. Are we obedient? So that's truth number one. But this is the one for all you like A-type personalities. God doesn't always give you the details about what your next step is. Notice he just said, rise up and go to this place. He just says, go to the roads that is Jerusalem and Gaza. That's me saying, hey, I need you to meet me at Dort in Saginaw. Why? Don't worry about it. Just meet me there. Do I need a car? Do I need a truck? Do I need a trailer? Like if I just text you randomly and say, just meet me at Dort in Saginaw. That's it. Tell me what your response is to that text message. You're you're saying, are you okay? Can you FaceTime? Like, do do I need a gun? Like, again, are you okay? Like, you're asking a thousand questions. What does God do here to Philip? I need you to rise up. I need you to go to Jerusalem and Gaza, which is very funny because what's the place that he originally fled? Jerusalem. He left Jerusalem. He was unsafe in Jerusalem, and God turned around, doesn't give him any. Am I going to be safe? Is Saul there? What do you want me to do, God? I mean, I just saw, again, Stephen preached the gospel faithfully and he died. Is that what you're going to have for me happen? God doesn't always give us all the details for our next step, but what does he desire? He desires obedience. He asks us, please take your next step. And I love this in Acts 26. It says, and now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise up and go towards the south and the road that does, goes down to Jerusalem and Gaza. And this is a desert place. And he rose and went. No question. No why. What do I got to do there? Do I got to bring a trailer? Do I need a firearm? What do I do? God said go. And he went. 
There is no, this doesn't make sense. There is no, I can't do this. There is no, I don't have time. There is no excuses. There is no dragging on any type of fact. Again, this is crazy. This is God's plan for sure. But taking our next step sometimes means that we need to take that logic and all that planning and that, that, that control that we so like, and we just need to be faithful in that next step. Because so often, again, on another one of those roadblocks, what happens is we stop ourselves because we need all the details. You void faith in Jesus if you need all the details. If God laid out his entire plan for you in life, and he said, this is exactly what it's going to be, most of us would be like, no, I wouldn't do that. Because you're probably married to somebody that you took a risk on. You probably met somebody. Your kids are crazy. You're at a job you never thought you would take. If God told you every single decision that you ever need to make, you'd look at your plan and be like, no. But some of us can look at our spouse and be like, kind of glad I made that decision. We have a crazy kid. Yeah, kind of glad we made those decisions. Yeah, but we didn't have all the money at the time. Yeah, I love my kids, though. So often. We don't just rise up and go for our next steps because we need the details. But to continue this, and I, this is going to be a little bit of a quick thing. So he rises up, and he went, starting in verse 27. So he rose, and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, and a court of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had to come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet of Isaiah. Well, now we start seeing what God's plan is. Rise up and go. Now there's this guy who's sitting in a chariot, reading about Jesus. So does God use and send people at the perfect time in your life? Some of you need to hear this. God will send people at the perfect time in your life to help you. There is a guy who is leaving Jerusalem with just a scroll. He has no idea that there's a guy on the hill who God just said, hey, I need you to come down here, and I love verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Just so you know, chariots are like have horses. It's a little bit of a run there. You're not just walking up to a chariot and being like, hey, man, hey, 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 okay, we're good. No, had to run after this chariot. It's a horse-pulled chariot. So what do we have? The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran him, ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, this is the eunuch, how can I unless someone guides me? You want to talk about T-ball ministry. He's reading Isaiah. You know what you're reading? Nope, but I really wish somebody would teach me. Philip didn't turn around and say, well, I really hope you find that guy. See you later. Like, what does he do? Again, who can describe this generation? He sits there and he, and he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. Philip's next step, yes, God pushed him out of a comfort zone. And then God didn't care that he was successful in Samaria. I need you to take your next step. But he says, get up, go to that road, rise up. He goes and all of a sudden run down this chariot. And what does Philip see in front of him? An Ethiopian. This is an African. This is an African person who's like, I need to know. Where is the gospel trying to go to the four corners of the earth? This is going down into a different part of the world. But we see, again, he invites him and he explains it. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was like this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear was silent. So he opened not his mouth and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life was taken away from earth? Leaves Jerusalem because of a scattered church. Not all things are good, but God will use all things. 
Take your next step because God cares more about obedience than success. Philip rises up and goes, finds a guy leaving Jerusalem, reading the prophet Isaiah, and the exact scripture that he's reading is about the broken body and the Lamb of God of Jesus Christ. But we want to say that God doesn't have a plan. I can't trust that. At that moment, Philip didn't turn around and need to know what his next step was. Because his next step was always there. The destination was showing Jesus. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 34, it says, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom? I love that he says whom. So again, person. About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began with, beginning with Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. I love this. Because does God put people in your life at the perfect time to help you with your next step? Yes, but it gets better than that. Because in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord, again, if you go back to this again, the, the, the reminder, go up. This detail that was, again, a desert place. So, so the eunuch just accepted Jesus. And in verse 36, it says, And as they were going around the road, they came to some water. Desert. Water. I don't know where you're at in like your, 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 your ecology and understanding climates and stuff like that. You don't typically see water in a desert. Who in the world can make sure that there's water in a desert? It ain't a plan. Philip didn't be like, I got a great idea. Send him this way. God made sure as they're going, this guy, whom do I need to know? And they came across some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the, char- commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Not only does God send people into your life at the exact moment you need help with your next step, his sovereign reign will literally move heaven and earth to put exactly what you need in front of you. For us... When we're taking our next steps, where's that trust? Because there's two more truths. Small steps add up. If you think about babies when they start walking, it takes a couple for them to get there. But so often we live in a Christianity where we've got to go from like zero to like mission work. And it's like, you don't need to do that. For Philip, he fled from Jerusalem. He was obedient in Samaria. He rose up and go. He ran down the chariot. He taught the man led him to Jesus, told him, who is this person that we're talking about? And he baptized him. All those are little, little, little steps to get Philip to that exact moment where he was able to lead a man to Christ and see him baptized. But we have to understand, little steps add up. For some of us, little steps are just coming on Sunday. For some of us, little steps are just turning off the internet. For some of us, are just confessing our sins of what we're struggling with. These little steps. Then this other truth that we have to see is that your next steps not only help you with your walk with Jesus, but your next steps have the ability to help somebody else. For me, I look at this, and again, we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
what is the point? What is the meaning of life? What does Jesus want on you? Jesus wants you to witness what you've seen him do in your life. We just saw three people get baptized. So when someone turns around and looks at you on Monday and says, what did you do on the weekend? I witnessed God turn around and change the heart of three young people where they went from death to life and they confess Jesus is Lord. That is the witness. But what does Jesus tell us to do? To go witness where? In our towns, in our communities, in our states, in our nations. Like that. That's the antithesis of reach, gather, grow. That's the antithesis of the church. But what does he want out of us? To witness. So I ask you, what have you witnessed Jesus do? What have you seen God do in your life? And I want to go back to that first one because for some of us it's like I've only seen him do the bad. But I put that, is Jesus enough to heal? Is Jesus enough to bring comfort? Is Jesus enough to bring just a, a, a newness of life? Yes. I think so often we're like, yeah, you'll still keep your pain, but you got Jesus. And then we void all things Corinthians. We become a new creature in Christ. Let's not void what God does in our life. Let's go the opposite direction. Let's, let's witness what God has done in, in your life. So I have no idea what your next step is. But I have eight that might be it. First one is salvation. Maybe your first step is actually confessing that Jesus is Lord. I come to church. I know some answers. I read my Bible. Okay, great. Just because, again, if I'm sitting in a garage, that doesn't make me a car. If you come to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. Is Jesus real? Have you confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you will be saved? It's that simple. But maybe your first step is acknowledging him as Lord. And we got to see a beautiful thing. What do you do after you acknowledge Jesus as Lord? And we got to see three people do that today. You get baptized. Maybe your next step is that. I don't want to get in front of people and tell people I know that Jesus guy. Why? He acknowledges you in heaven. You won't acknowledge him now. But our next step, we confess that Jesus is Lord and we get baptized. This is a big one. Growth communities. It's a shame that we don't see 80-something people packing in that room on a Wednesday night. And I'm not trying to avoid schedules and work. I'm not trying to shame you in anything like that. I get people have lives. We don't live in like a Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. I get it. But for some of us, we know we could probably be here on a Wednesday. And even if you can't be here on a Wednesday, there's a lot of other growth communities that exist. I know they exist. But if we're looking at, again, what is my next step, and I believe my next step needs to be there, maybe it's being committed to a growth community. Maybe it's prayer and devotion. I love the fact that we have people who are faithful and committed every Sunday morning, and they pray inside of a room before our gathering. Blesses my heart. Because they'll pray for you, pray for me, pray that God moves in this place. Maybe that's you. For some of us, maybe we got to start serving. We've been a part of this for a long time, and our next step is actually, again, skinning the game. We actually serve. We commit to helping Iwana. We commit to helping with students. We're, I can't serve. Can you hold the door open and smile? That's the bar. Again, that, that's the easiest thing you can do here. you got to hold the door open and say, good morning. Even if you say good night, I don't think anybody cares. But we serve. We, use, we, we serve God with our gifts and talents. Maybe our next step is giving. We love showing up, and unless the pastor's really good, I'm not given the price of admission because we view it like a movie theater, not actually faithfully given to the Lord. Maybe it's mentorship. 
Maybe you're here and you, you, I can actually sit down with some moms or I can sit down with the dudes or I, I, I need mentorship. But then ultimately, where do we want to get to with our next steps? We want to get to a place where we're witnessing, we're showing who Jesus is. Now, if you want that list again, you can go back to guest services. I got a little thing called the next step card. But I don't know what your next step is. And don't like void number one, but like I'm going to start serving, but I get to skip giving, right? I'm going to skip baptism, but I'm definitely going to go to evangelism. You don't get to do that. But where are you at with your walk with God? If you have no idea where you're at with your walk with God today, I would love to talk to you. I'm sure Mike and Jim, Gary, we'd love to talk to you. But what is your next step? Because to go back to that initial question, what do we do with babies? We let them take small steps. We're not asking for perfection. But think about this. When you start seeing somebody get up and walk, why is that the coolest thing in the world to see? You got to be a part of somebody's life because, again, they get to go. You get to then be a part of somebody else's. So for me, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to ask for this. What is your next step? Don't just sit and watch. Don't just watch from the game from the bleachers. Like, get involved. What is your next step in your walk with Jesus?